the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Granville. It has been a busy week, and uh, I just want to say thank you to uh, a few people who have made uh, possible these uh, big uh, uh, funeral events or celebration of lives as, uh, that we have uh, experienced. So I know Sharon and Bev uh, have been very much part of that, Marina Chang, and uh, Paul Arden, our kitchen uh, angel, has been uh, doing amazing work this last couple of days. So uh, if you see him, say thank you. Uh, he has uh, served many people. Uh, in the kitchen there. So, uh, uh, so it's, it's really good, actually, to celebrate uh, the lives uh, of uh, people that are uh, uh, now with the Lord and uh, to reflect on what a legacy looks like. And uh, on Friday, we were thinking particularly about Ruth, uh, who, of course, was a, a member here, uh, and what her contribution was in this place. And uh, I strongly believe that hers was the, the prayer torch. She held it, she believed it, and now she passes it on. And I think the challenge for all of us is, uh, will we be the ones to grab that torch uh, and carry it forward, uh, confident that God answers prayer? Anyway, that was that. And now we are uh, back onto our Credo series Uh, this series that we began two weeks ago, uh, working our way through the Apostles' Creed. Uh, Two weeks ago, if you were here, you remember we started off by looking at the first phrase of the Apostles' Creed, the one that reads, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And at that time, I reminded us that in this series, we're going to be taking some time to consider this early Christian creedal statement, Uh, It's an ancient text and probably came into being uh, very early in the life of the church. Uh, It was widely believed to have been actually put together by the apostles themselves. And uh, it's a a document that was used as a teaching tool. Uh, It uh, has been used extensively for catechism, particularly in the context of preparing people for baptism. And it's been used across a whole range of uh, Christian denominations and churches uh, and encapsulates in some way the core 
uh, of what it is we believe. And uh, we made the point two weeks ago that uh, knowing what we believe is kind of important. Uh, Our beliefs uh, have implications for the way that we are going to behave. So if the first phrase of the Apostles' Creed introduced us to God the Father, uh, and we noted then how his reality and character were revealed progressively through the Old Testament. Uh, You remember we looked at Psalm 103, uh, which in some ways is a summary, uh, David's summary of all that uh, the Old Testament had so far revealed uh, about God's character. Uh, But now we come to look at the next stanza of the Apostles' Creed, Uh, which is all about Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity that we believe to make up the one God. And uh, for that, we have to turn to the New Testament, where the story of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus is recounted in full. So this is the statement that we are looking at today. Uh, It's, uh, I think we have it up here somewhere. Uh, I hope. Oh, there it is. Yep. Uh, So, this is it. Uh, And this is a good chunk of the Apostles' Creed right here, actually. Uh, It's a a big piece of it. Uh, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven, is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, He will come to judge the living and the dead. Well, that's quite a lot of material, uh, but you'll notice it's all about Jesus Christ. It speaks to his identity as Son of God. It speaks to the details of his birth, his life, particularly his suffering under Pontius Pilate, his crucifixion, death and burial, and his descent into hell. It also includes his resurrection his ascension, and his current location, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. This is clearly a pretty comprehensive overview of all that you need to know and believe about Jesus Christ. Well, why did the Apostles' Creed put such a terrific emphasis on Jesus? And to answer that question, I think we have to go back to the source documents of the Christian faith, the New Testament itself. And our reading today is from Acts 10, which is Dr. Luke's. He was the guy who wrote both the Gospel of Luke and Acts. Dr. Luke's account of the gathering at Cornelius' house that was one of the first occasions that non-Jews or Gentiles heard the good news from followers of Jesus. And uh, it's a great story. If you, if you want a good read, go back uh, to Acts 10 and read all about it. You remember Peter had that vision, couldn't figure out what it was all about. Then there's a knock on the door, and these guys who have themselves seen a vision of an angel saying, go and find that guy at, uh, at, uh, at Joppa. Uh, and uh, so the, the, the two groups come together. Peter goes off in fear and trembling to the house of Cornelius, who happens to be a Gentile. (gasps) Shock, horror. Uh, And he goes into the house, and there's a whole bunch of people, and they swap stories. 
So the Cornelius says, well, I, this angel showed up and told me that I had to go and get you, and now here you are. So what have you got to say? And Peter goes, ha! Huh. And that's where we pick it up, our reading this morning. And you'll see uh, that as we look at what Peter shared, that it's very, very close to all that we've already just seen in the Apostles' Creed. And so uh, one of the interesting things about this is that there is a very close connection from the, the New Testament to the Apostles' Creed, and that's obviously what we would expect. So Peter begins his comment, and it, it's, it's pretty clear as he starts uh, his, his speech here, he's just really uncomfortable. He's never been in a Gentile's house. There, there was this like wall of separation between the Jews, who were kind of thought it was all about keeping to themselves and kind of keeping away from these Gentiles who might infect them. Uh, and, and now he's, he's right in, the, in Cornelius' home. And he's like, Woo, what am I doing here? This is, what's going on? Anyway, so that comes through. But, but he starts off, he, he begins his comments by sharing his surprise that God does not show favoritism. Now, this is actually a wild statement when you think about it, because all through the history of Israel, they have been the favored ones. They have been the ones who've received God's revelation of himself. He's told them, you're special, I picked you out, you're my chosen people, uh, he told them that he had a mission for them, which was actually to bless the nations, but they kind of forgot that bit. And now, Peter, standing amid, amongst Gentiles, says, whoa, God doesn't show favoritism? This is actually a, a massive shift in his brain at this point. Because he says, God doesn't show favoritism, but accepts people from every nation who fear him and do right. I can't really communicate to you how radical an idea this actually is. You see, up to that time, if you wanted to know the God of Israel, you had to go to a synagogue or to the temple in Jerusalem, and you could be accepted. You could be accepted as a God-fearer. You could even get circumcised, if you were a man, and, and, and be accepted in that way, but... You were never like fully a Jew. Right? You, 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 you were just kind of like, you were second class. You, you could believe it, but, but you weren't born a Jew. You didn't really count. So how is that good for you? A few years ago, I went to uh, a synagogue in, uh, in Dallas as part of a course. And, uh, and I listened uh, to some services and... Uh, uh, and I sat there, and it was very Jewish, as you would expect. And as an outsider, there was really nothing for me. No one said, hello. No one said, what are you doing here? There was no welcome. It, it was just very strange, actually. But, but I think that, that, was, that was the Jewish reality, right? I mean, it was like, we've got it. No one else has got it. We're going to do our thing. If you want to come along and watch, that's fine, but you'll never be really one of us. That was the feel. And now here's Peter, because of this vision that he's had and because he's found, finding himself there saying, God does not show favoritism. 
And God has room in his heart for people from every nation. And he's actually, through Jesus, wanting to do something amazing. So then he goes on to tell them this, that as Gentiles living in Israel, that they know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Now, this is a really interesting statement. How do they know this message? I mean, he's, he's the first one telling them, but he tells them that they know it. And here's the interesting thing. They know it because they have lived it. Because they, as Gentiles living in Israel at that time, have been aware of the life and ministry of Jesus himself. So what Peter is really telling them here is that Jesus is both the medium and the message. God's message to Israel, the good news, was brought by Jesus and was Jesus. They know that message, he says. Put more simply, at the center of Christianity is Christ. And take Jesus out of Christianity. You don't have Christianity. It's gone. It's nothing, right? It's all about Jesus, which is why we shouldn't be at all surprised to find that the Apostles' Creed focuses almost exclusively on the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. We are Jesus-centered people because Jesus is the faith. And Peter underlines the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. So here is his message, and his message is Jesus, and Jesus is God's message to Israel and to the world. That's what he's saying. So, in case any in Cornelius' household have forgotten, Peter now reminds them of the recent happenings in Judea and Galilee. And he starts with John the Baptist preaching and baptizing, which I think probably made a stir uh, all across uh, Israel. But he moves quickly to Jesus. And he tells them that God the Father anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Now, that's an interesting statement. It's a very early formulation of what we know as the Trinity, right? It's all there. God the Father anointed Jesus Christ, the Son, with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all there. And then Peter goes on to document how Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were under the devil's power. Jesus' ministry. And this news that Jesus was healing reached far and wide. Another centurion got his servant healed, you remember, in that story. So the ripples uh, of Jesus' uh, healing ministry uh, spread beyond the, the, uh, the Jewish community. Uh, and, and others heard about this and go, wow, perhaps he could heal us too. Because this was a time before hospitals, before medical care uh, of any advanced nature. So Peter goes on. Uh, he then establishes his own credentials as a witness, being one of the 12 disciples. 
And he moves the story of Jesus on quickly to its culmination in Jerusalem with the crucifixion. Now, the death of Jesus was a harrowing event, particularly for Peter personally, after his own repeated denials. But it is an essential part of the Christian story. For without the actual death of Jesus, there could have been no resurrection. But Peter attests here quite plainly, God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Admittedly, not by everyone, but by the followers who served as witnesses. According to the Apostle Paul, uh, more than 500 at one time. Certainly enough witnesses to attest that this wasn't mass hypnosis or some kind of collective delusion. Peter is then delighted to affirm that he ate and drank with Jesus after the resurrection. You'll all remember that beach picnic that Jesus set up in, uh, by the Lake of Galilee after Peter and his friends had been fishing unsuccessfully again all night. You remember that story, and they came and they found uh, Jesus on the beach with a fire and fish. And he fed them and he ate with them. And of course, the point here that I think Peter is underlining for his Gentile listeners is that ghosts don't generally eat, right? I mean, so, so here it is. We ate and drank with him. He was that real. He was that alive. Having laid out the essential facts of the story of Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection, Peter wraps it up by explaining his own role. He, Peter, is simply one commanded to tell people about Jesus and to be a witness to the fact that Jesus is the one God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And he explains that all the prophets testify about Jesus and further that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So that was the early message that Peter shared. And this is one of the first times he gets to share it, and certainly the first time he gets to share it with Gentiles. You have to go back and read chapter 10 to get the full force of what happened next. But it was pretty electric, because the Holy Spirit fell on the whole company. As soon as he finished that bit and had, had preached the, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus uh, and the forgiveness that comes through believing in his name, suddenly there's a kind of whoosh over the whole place. The Holy Spirit falls and all these Gentiles start jumping around, praising God, probably lifting their, their, their hands up. They're speaking in tongues. They're having a good old time. And all the Jewish believers are jaw dropped at the, the excitement of all this. What is happening? Can it be that God is breaking apart the old separation and bringing in the world to knowledge of Jesus? Amazing. Totally wonderful. The point of cross-referencing the Apostles' Creed with this early sample of Christian preaching, is to show that the creed tells us very little that is not there 
in what the earliest apostles were teaching about Jesus. If you put these two documents uh, up alongside each other, uh, you will notice that Peter doesn't say anything about the virgin birth in this presentation, but Luke has plenty to tell us about that in uh, Luke chapters 1 and 2. And Mary herself was a part of this early Christian community and could give first-hand accounts of what she went through and experienced uh, around the birth of Jesus. Peter also doesn't mention Jesus' descent into hell, although he does mention something remarkably like it in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 19. But all the rest that he refers to in this sermon uh, could be lifted almost verbatim uh, out and dropped into the Apostles' Creed. So at this point, we have no qualms, I think, about the Apostles' Creed because it's drawn from Scripture uh, and helps us. Last time, we talked a little bit about belief and how it can affect behavior. It's imp perhaps important at this point to think about why Christians believe all this about Jesus. Ultimately, when pushed on why we believe this, we will have to answer, basically, that it's because it's true. Go back to thinking about those first disciples. They had very little to gain by composing a fairy tale. And in fact, as you read through the Gospels, the really striking thing about them is the surprise that the disciples go through as the crucifixion happens and then as the resurrection happens because they clearly didn't expect either of those things. They thought Jesus was going to be crowned king and kick all the Romans out when he got to Jerusalem. That's why they followed him up. But when they got there, things went so sideways for them. Suddenly, Jesus is being crucified, and they're in total shock. They thought, we followed Jesus. We thought he was the main man. He had the power of God. He was healing. He was doing all this stuff. And now? And so they were absolutely stunned by the crucifixion. Knocked sideways. Obliterated. And then, on the third day, when the resurrection happened, they couldn't cope with that either. They were just so at sea. They couldn't believe that the women had actually seen Jesus uh, at that uh, empty tomb. They, they thought the women were off their heads. They went to check out for themselves. And then Jesus showed up, and they were completely obliterated again. Oh, is it a ghost? Uh, we don't know what's happening here. And then Jesus had to say, peace, and settle down, and feel my hands, and give me some bread. Let me, look, look, I'm eating. Yeah, you remember that stuff, right? So, so the disciples just knocked sideways by the crucifixion and the resurrection, despite all that Jesus had told them. What did he say often? He said to them, listen, guys, here's the deal. 
we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to get killed, and then I'm going to rise on the third day. And he couldn't get that into their heads, right? They, they, they were such a, 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 a distance from him. So, so the idea that these guys made it all up just seems to me a pretty weak one, really. Particularly because after meeting the resurrected Jesus, they, they were so impacted by that reality that, that, that all they could do was tell people, we've met Jesus. It, it, it was their trump card, if you like. It, it, was, it was all they could do was just say, look, the deal is we've met Jesus. He's alive. We know he's alive. So figure it out for yourselves, but we've met him. And of course, we know that of those original disciples, most of them went on to be martyred. So they had, they had the power of the Roman state. They had judges and soldiers staring at them saying, give it up, boys. Come on, you know it didn't happen. And they said, we're kind of stuck because we know it did happen. And, and actually, death doesn't frighten us anymore because we know that Jesus is alive. So we know death is not the end anymore. We know that he's risen. So do to us what you like. We're not going to recant. We're not going to step down on this. We're not going to back off because we know Jesus is alive. And many of them died. But they believed it because they knew it. And here's the deal. Christians down the centuries have encountered the living Jesus. I have. Many here have. And the deal is, once you encounter the living Jesus, everything changes. You cannot go back to living the old, selfish, self-centered way that you once lived. Once you know that there is a way, a person, a life, a truth worth following, to go back is to go back into darkness and loss. But to go forward is to move forward into life that is real and meaningful and purposeful and full of mission and hope. And you start to see the world is very different. My life is not about me. It's not about all the resources I can amass. It's actually about learning to follow this one who persisted in saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. And who led people out of lives of meaningless self-centeredness into hope and purpose. So why do we believe in Jesus? Ultimately, it's because we have met him. Right? And can we go back having met him? No, we can't. We're stuck with it. We believe because we've met him, and it's true. Some of you here today may say, well, I haven't met him, so why should I believe? Well, here's the deal. Because he's the Lord of all, 
he hears. And if any of you sitting here this morning, listening to all this stuff about Jesus and going, there's a way. There's a way to know him. And the way to know him is to call out to him. Not, you don't have to say it aloud. You can say it in your heart. All you have to do is say, Jesus, you out there? Please reveal yourself to me. And because he's the Lord of all, he will. He will. I promise you. But here's the deal. You need to look out if you're going to do that. Because you'll get a bit more than you ask for. Right? There are no good reasons for coming to Jesus. Often our lives are in a mess or uh, we're stuck somehow or we're down. We're, things have gone badly wrong. So we come with all kinds of bad reasons. Thinking that maybe Jesus can get us out of a fix. But the deal is, Jesus gets us into a fix. He says, yes, I'll come. But he's not going to leave you just the same. If he comes, he comes as the Lord. He comes as the boss. He comes as the Lord of all. And he comes quietly into your life. And he says to you, follow me. And out of that, he's going to take you to places you never expected to be. He's going to do things to you that you never expected to find. He's going to sort stuff out in you that you never thought needed sorting out. He's going to shake you and he's going to remake you. And you know, it'll be good. But it might be painful. It probably will be painful. Because you'll have to prize your sticky little fingers off a whole bunch of stuff that you thought was yours. And he will actually say, it's mine. That's what Jesus does. But as we do that, he soaks us with his peace. He soaks us with his joy. He soaks us with the reality that we can join in a community of worship. He brings us out of our dysfunctional families. Anyone here come from a dysfunctional family? I want to see lots of hands. Every family is dysfunctional. We come out of dysfunctional families and we are called into the family of God, which can be dysfunctional too. I want to admit that, absolutely. But you know what? In the big picture, the family of God is for broken people just like us. And Jesus calls us in and says, look, brothers, sisters, come on in. Let's follow Jesus together. Why do we believe in Jesus? Because he's true and it's true. And why do we come to worship? Because he's pure and he's good. And why do we repeat the Apostles' Creed on occasions? Because it's true. Because there's good stuff in here. Some of you need to call out to Jesus today. In the quiet, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. All you have to do in the quiet of your heart is say, Jesus, will you please reveal yourself to me? It's the most dangerous prayer in the world. 
Let's pray quietly. Lord Jesus, we've heard about you. We've heard about the facts of your life, death, resurrection, the way that you revealed yourself to people like Peter. We've also been hearing that you've revealed yourself to people like me and many here. Lord Jesus, this morning, would you please reveal yourself to everyone here? And Lord, if there's any here this morning that don't know you yet, Lord, would you break in with all your love, all your grace, all your forgiveness, all your compassion. Would you reveal yourself to people here today? And Lord, would new things begin in lives this morning? Would your love, joy, peace break out Would your grace and mercy seek people out today? For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We get an opportunity now to uh, join in worship. And uh, we're going to invite the prayer ministry team to come out. And uh, if you'd like to be prayed for this morning, then uh, by all means come. And uh, if you have prayed this morning, for Jesus to reveal himself to you, then why not come up and be prayed for? People will be glad to pray with you and for you as uh, we invite Jesus to make himself known to you. David. I invite you to stand.
Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the wonder. Our hearts adore. The hopeless have found their hope. The orphans now have a home. All that was lost has found its place in you. You lift our weary head. You make us strong instead. You took these rakes and made us beautiful. For all that you've done, we will pour out your love. This will be our anthem song. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our hearts adore. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the You are the one I 
Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our, our hearts adore. Lord, we sing these words and we believe them. Lord, but we are not good at it. So Lord, would you help us? To continue to sing these words, to continue to live truly loving you, Lord, and as we do that, in light of all that you've done, will you pour out your love so that we can pour out your love to all those around us. Lord, we adore you, Jesus. Lord, we believe. Lord, and we give you all that we are for your kingdom come. In, in your name we pray. Let's, uh, let's sing one, one more song. In Christ alone my hope is found. In Christ alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are still when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I'll stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in hell. This faith, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, says Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin. On him was laid Here in the death of Christ I live There in the ground His body lay Light of the world by darkness slain Then bursting forth In glorious day up from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory since curse has lost its grip on me for i am his and he is mine bought with the precious blood of 
in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, there's no power of hell, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll That's a good song. Isn't it good to worship? Please grab a seat. Uh, just before we finish up today, uh, we have a little presentation to make. So, uh, are you coming up, Andrea? No? Um, come on up. Angela. Uh, so one of the things that uh, happens in this place and has been happening for, well, it's a lot of years now, isn't it? I have no idea how long. I think, I think it's at least 12 years. Really long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there is a mysterious little group from our community uh, that on Friday evenings breaks into a baker's shop, uh, Cobb's Bakery. Uh, well, actually, they get let in. Uh, and they pillage the place, and they, they pull bread off the shelves, and, and then they go and they take it and they deliver it down to Covenant House, I, I believe, right? How am I doing? You're doing my job. Oh, I'm doing your job. Well, okay, you do, you do your job. But, but I, I'm just kind of setting the scene here. Okay, so, so what's happening in this ministry, Andrew? I, I, what he said. <laughs> So this is a ministry that's been happening for a really long time. Um, when you think about it, like a really, really long time, I think there was this guy named Jesus, and there was like five loaves of bread and 5,000. So we're kind of continuing with that tradition. We've um, been blessed to have this opportunity to work with Cobbs. And on Fridays, there's been a group of us um, that we have the bins, we have an hour and a half of our time, and we get to bless Covenant House. I mean, boom, that's it. That's all I really have to say. There's not much um, else to, um, to say. It's just such a, an amazing ministry that doesn't take much of your time. And I'm up here because one of our um, main people in this ministry has, uh, I think she has surpassed the 5,000 as far as how many loaves of bread that she has um, delivered. Um, along with um, uh, another one of our, our workers, and which has left this amazing opportunity for you. But I want to just take a quick second to acknowledge Heather Lim and Bruce Preston um, for their amazing uh, amount of time that they put into this, organizing the group and uh, mentoring us to get us up to speed, which doesn't take too much. 
Um, and we just have a couple of flowers if they're here. Heather, Heather or Bruce? Come, Here's come the come other, Heather, come, come down. As they're accepting, so really what this ministry has been doing is um, just taking access from Cobbs, um, bringing it down to the downtown east side. Um, the blessings you get are so easily um, given back to you because you feel so good delivering it. And not only that, um, there's always leftovers that they can't take that you get blessed with too. But um, <laughs> maybe not for the low-carb diet. But <laughs> Anyways, I want to say thank you so much to Heather for um, organizing us and Bruce who's taken us in and shown us what to do. Um, and like I said, I swear it's been at least 5,000 loaves of bread that mm -hmm. each of you have done. So thank you so much. Just want to just acknowledge that. And because of their the departure of retirement, which is well-deserved, we have a couple open spots and we are continuing this ministry. Um, all you really need is um, a vehicle that's maybe bigger than a mini, um, a minivan would work. Um, we are a SUV, a wagon, um, and basically an hour and a half of your time, we supply the bins, we'll show you what to do. Um, if you are interested, you can see myself or Andrew Corbett, and we will sign you up. And like I said, it's once, once every six weeks or so. So um, in wrapping that up, so I just want a little thank you, round of applause to our amazing people. And, yeah. That's Thank you, Angela. Yeah. And, you know, in a sense, this is actually a lovely illustration uh, of what following Jesus can do to you, right? I mean, Bruce and Heather never thought that they would become Cobb's readers. But, but look, when Jesus is in the house, interesting things happen. We find ourselves in interesting contexts, uh, possibilities of serving and blessing and uh, funneling uh, life and food to, to places uh, that need them uh, and to kids that really are in, uh, in trouble on the streets. So uh, this is good stuff. Uh, and this is just one little piece of the good stuff that flows through this community uh, and that I'm proud to be part of because this is a place where Jesus uh, rules the house, right? So as we finish today, I invite you to stand. Uh, I'm going to give us a benediction and we're going to be sent out to be Jesus people in our city uh, doing the things that Jesus calls us to do to love others bless them in Jesus name uh, and encourage them towards the life that we found in Jesus let's pray together father God thank you so much for sending us Jesus Lord Jesus thank you for being willing to come thank you for the life you lived the way that you modeled fullness of life to us and the way that through your death and resurrection you have brought us forgiveness and hope and the life of the Spirit flowing into our lives, changing us, setting us free, forgiving us, and now empowering us to go and be a blessing in your world, which you love. Lord, send us out today, we pray, uh, in the power of the Spirit to be the people of light that you have called us to be. Lord, we come to you in our brokenness and weakness and pray that you would transform it and that your name would be lifted up through us. And we pray, Lord, that you'd be exalted 
by all that goes on through our lives uh, in this next week. Send us out as your people, we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, amen. Tea and coffee is available over here. And tax receipts too. See Jan. Thank you.